Um, I don't think I've got warm since I've got back here. We arrived back um, Monday evening after an eight-hour train ride back from the east of Sri Lanka in a train that I can't even describe because when you sat on the seats, they just bounced up to the ceiling and down again <laughs> for the whole eight hours. And, um, I mean, Phil's very laid back, but even he said, my goodness, I've never been on anything like this. Um, we got back into Colombo. Two hours later, we were going to the airport for a 13-hour or 12-hour flight home. Um, arrived in England, and the next day we were in the office. So I really haven't had a time to get jet-lagged. Jet it's just been full-on, but um, it was great being in Sri Lanka. It was different not having a team. We were sort of on our own, but that was good for us. We felt we needed some time together as well. Um, sorry Phil's not here. He had a prior booking at Chingford. He has that every month, so we didn't like to cancel them. So you've got me. I'm the next best thing, aren't I? <laughs> I'm not the second, I'm just the next. <laughs> um, I suppose if I could give a, 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 a title to my talk this morning, and I felt God gave me these um, three words um, about a month ago, it would be rally the troops. Quite a strange subject, I suppose, but... Um, so I've been thinking about that over the last two weeks in Sri Lanka. And I'll just tell you a little story of how I came about to get those three words. And I went to a Hillsong conference that my niece had last year given me a free ticket to. And um, I was a bit sceptical. I think I told you earlier about Hillsong. I always think they're a bit OTT. And, um, but really, I had to ask God to forgive me for that because... I went to the conference last year for one day, and then this year I booked to go for the whole three days in Wembley Arena. 12,000 women. So God is gathering the sisterhood as well, I believe. And, you know, we're all part of God's army. We, together we will defeat the enemy. But these 12,000 women, and as I stood there and the worshipping God and everything, the worship was incredible. And you just get lost in God. And I said to God, forgive me for what I've thought about Hillsong. Because they do things really well. It's a bit like Hollywood. You know, it's a bit like a theatre production. But, you know, you can't fault them because they want to put on what's best for God. But this one particular afternoon, I was sitting in my seat. And all of a sudden, because <laughs> you never know what's going to happen... All these soldiers started marching down the aisles, like women dressed in soldiers' uniform. They were marching down. I was quite taken aback by this. But the lady who was organising the conference says that these are soldiers of the Lord and God is gathering his sisters to be part of God's army. And they were coming all down the aisles, all around everywhere. And it sort of gave you goosebumps, really, because you thought, what was happening? And the reason for her doing that was she was calling us all to pray. Because that's part of the warfare, part of gathering the troops. Part of how we defeat the enemy is through prayer and, and through unity as well. She got us, got us to hold our mobile phones up. And most people have got mobile phones this day, all except my husband. <laughs> well, never mind, we keep praying for him. So we all held our mobile phones up. But what she wanted us to do was put an alarm on our 
phones for 12 o'clock every day. So it, it was called midday, a midday call to prayer. So all over the world, obviously, it'd be at different times. So we all held our phones up and we all put this alarm on so that midday for the next year, every month, we would pray for a different nation of the world. But what was amazing and what she didn't ask people to do, everyone, and it's dark in there, everyone turned their lights on on their phones. It was just all over the auditorium, 12,000 women would turn their lights on. And it was like, and then she called, and she was like, my goodness, what, what is God doing? And it was like, we were going to be a light in a dark place. We were going to defeat the enemy. We were going to be called to prayer, and the lights all went on. It was absolutely amazing. Amen. So she was calling us to pray, calling us to rally the troops. And I stood there and I said, God, really? I'm 65. <laughs> I really don't think I can fight anymore and really just call the next generation. I, I'm really at the last bit now of the race. <laughs> and he said to me, Daphne, you will run till you finish the race. You're never too old to fight the good fight of faith. You're never too old to defeat the enemy. And as I opened my eyes, I had... A picture, and I had to think, where did that come? I had a picture, and I, uh, Dave knows this, I love lions. But I wasn't thinking about lions. I wasn't thinking, as I opened my eyes, I had this strong vision of a lion. Yeah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. It, it was, I had to look again, because I thought I've imagined this. But it was just the face of a lion that he, Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, was going to lead his troops. And um, it was a great experience and a great thing. So that's where I got the title for today, Rally the Troops. So within what I'm going to talk about this morning, there'll be a few stories about Sri Lanka, but I want to just turn to Judges, actually. If you turn to Judges 6 and 7 today, um, I just want to talk a little bit about Gideon. He was a great warrior, really, a great man of God. Well, he wasn't to start with, but God took his life and turned it round. At that time, there was no kings in Israel, and there were judges um, previous to Gideon, who was going to become a judge in Israel. <coughs> Deborah was a judge. She was one, a, a prophetess, <laughs> and um, God used her mightily. Um, to be a judge of Israel. So like I say, God's, God is doing something with his sisterhood as well. So I won't read the whole... If you've got a chance, just read Judges 6 and 7 at home. We won't read it all now. it would take far too long. We'll be here most of the morning. But I would just pick different verses out of that story because it's such a great story. Israel, as usual, was in a bad place, um, drifting from God. It's the whole story of when they left Egypt and carried on through, that they kept going back, worshipping other idols. Then they would be with God. Then they would worship other idols. Then they would moan and groan, and, and God would keep bringing them back, or they would keep crying out to God. How, how, how is that like us today, isn't it? How often 
the church of Jesus Christ is going along fine and then it seems to drift back. It seems to lose its passion for God. It seems to lose its, you know, its fight. And then we seem to come under the attack of the enemy. It's, that's why God puts the story of Israel in the Bible. It's such a pattern of how our lives are and how the church of Jesus Christ can often be. But if we look at chapter 6 and the first couple of verses, I'll just read them to you. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves and strongholds. So we see there that the Midianites had overpowered the Israelites because they had turned from God, because they had worshipped other idols, so they were hiding in these caves. It got so bad for them, and that's what often happens to us, isn't it? It gets so bad for us. We always wait until things go wrong. We often wait until we're desperate that we cry, cry to God for help. So it got so bad that they cried to God for help. And God said to them, I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of slavery. I rescued you from the Egyptian brutality and from the hands of all your oppressors. I told you not to worship the gods of the Amorites and you haven't listened. But God doesn't give up on his people, does he? He doesn't give up on us, thank goodness. Because where would we be if God had given up on us? So an angel appears to a man called Gideon who was minding his own business, threshing wheat in the wine press, not even thinking about anything probably. But the angel of God appeared unto him. And if we look in Judges 6, verses 12 and 13. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. <laughs> I love that. I bet he thought, who's that talking to me? I don't feel like a mighty warrior. I'm just getting on with my job here. What are you saying? The angel of the Lord appeared to him, mighty warrior. And then Gideon says, this is like an excuse, but sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hands of Midian. So there we see him wrestling asking God why he hadn't done these things and how often that's so much like us, isn't it? Why haven't you done this, God? Why haven't you answered my prayers? Why haven't you brought my children home? Why haven't you healed me? Why haven't you provided finances for me? We're so much like the children of Israel and that's what Gideon was doing that day. Well said, God. I've got news for you, Gideon. I'm sending you to save Israel out of the hands of the Midianites. But he thought, me? Of all people? And this is what he says in verse 15. This is just like Moses, you know, when God said to Moses, go and release the people from Egypt. What did Moses say? Oh, I can't speak. I can't speak out. I'm too frightened. But God said, no, you're the one, you're the one I'm going to send, Moses, because you're the one I've chosen. And he was saying a similar thing to Gideon. But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest of Manasseh, 
and I am the least in my family. Have you often said that to God? God, I can't lead the worship. God, I can't do the visuals. God, I can't pray for the sick. God, I can't fly in a plane because I've got fear. No, God says, you're the very one I want you to do that job. Do you know why? Because the thing that you are afraid of, the thing that you feel you can't do is the very thing God will ask you to do. God does not anoint the areas of your life so much where you are strong. He will anoint the areas where you are weak so he can show himself strong. I know I could not get in a plane if it wasn't for God. Because every time the devil says to me, you're not going to get to the other end. And I think the week before another plane had gone down, hadn't it? The Egyptian airplane. It always, often happens when we're on a mission, you hear of a disaster. And the devil says to me, well, you're not getting back either. And I, I just have to take that fear and turn it around. I said, I'm on a mission for God. I believe he will get me back to where I started. Praise God. So if you're feeling weak this morning, if you're feeling not capable of doing something, that's the very thing that God wants you to do because he will give you the strength to do it. So although God had called Gideon, he wanted various signs to prove that God was calling him. God, please show me this. Please show me I'm meant to go here. Please show me I'm meant to go on a mission to Malaysia. Please show me I'm meant to go to Hong Kong. Please show me I'm meant to do this, who I'm meant to marry, blah, blah, blah. Often we want God to give us a sign, don't we? And that's what Gideon wanted. So God gave him many signs. First of all, there was a sacrifice of meat and bread and Gideon poured broth over it so it wouldn't have caught fire, but the angel of the Lord made, made it caught, catch fire. His father had gone to worship the prophets of Baal, so God said, tear down the, the pole that the, the idol worship and use it as firewood. Bring a sacrifice and I will burn that up. And the Baal people were so cross that Gideon had done this, had burnt the pole down and everything, but they didn't come for him because they said, let Baal deal with him. But we know Baal couldn't do anything because he was only a god. And then he put a wool fleece out, didn't he? Twice he put the wool fleece out and said, if it's wet in the morning and the ground's dry and then the, the fleece is dry and the ground's wet, Lord, prove to me that you're really calling me. And God did all those tests. And he proved himself to be God. So after all that, Gideon knew that he had to save Israel from the hands of the Midianites. So God says to him, and this is in chapter 7, verse 2 now. You have too many men. There's too many men for me to deliver Midian into your hands. So this is 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. God always calls a remnant out to fight the enemy. Because if he's got millions and millions in his army, 
then it looks like the arm is one, but God calls a remnant so he can show his power in the capturing of this place. So there were 22,000 men in this army. He said, those who are fearful and don't want to fight, turn back. There were 32,000, sorry, 22,000 went. That's quite a lot, isn't it, really? 32,000 in the army. He said, those who are fearful, so 22,000 disappear. Would you have stayed? Would you have stayed to fight the enemy or would you have been the ones that would go home because you're too fearful? Interesting question. God was going to show himself strong. 10,000 remain. But God says, no, there's still too many to, to go into the Midianites' camp. I just want less people. He says, I want you to take them down to the water to drink. And I want you to separate those who, those who lap the water like a dog and those who get down on their knees and drink. I often think why God did that. 300 of them lapped their hands to their mouth like this. I sort of think the reason why they were chosen was they could be more looking around to see where the enemy was. But those that were on their knees drinking like that, they couldn't see what the enemy was doing. So God was thinning them out. Gideon was left with 300 in his army. That's a big drop from 32,000, isn't it? But it's God's power, isn't it? It's God's power in our life that helps us to defeat the enemy. You know, church, we're in a war. I think sometimes we sit here like we're not in a war. Or the church in the UK... We're so complacent at times. When I go to these other countries, I see the, often the passion that far exceeds what I see sometimes in the UK. I often think, God, if we were in a real war, there would be a stronger passion, wouldn't there? We would want to meet together more. We want to pray together more. It's like life has become so easy. I'm not praying for a war tomorrow, don't get me wrong. But, you know, those sort of things do, do get people together, do stir us up. Sri Lanka has had a, war go, had a war going on for 25 years. It was the war with the liberation, the LTT, the Liberation Tig- Tigers of Tamil. They were like a terrorist group. They wanted an independent Tamil state in the north and the east of the country. Over those 25, can you imagine a war going on for 25 years? Many, many thousands of people were killed. But in, in fact, when we first went to Sri Lanka, um, the airport was getting bombed. And also in Colombo, there was terrorist groups who were bombing other buildings. And we often saw buildings that were quite derelict. So we're only talking eight, nine years ago that it was still pretty bad. But in 2009, the Sri Lankan army moved in to bring an end to this war. And with great force, the LTT had to admit defeat. Several atrocities and war crimes were carried out by the Sri Lankan army, stuff that they really still have to be accountable for. Stories I've heard are even too bad to tell, 
but they definitely went in with great force and brought an end to this war. Many innocent people were killed. We went to the east of the country where it was a Tamil state. And the pastor we stayed with um, told us a story of during that time how in his church these terrorists came into his church and wanted the church to stop preaching the gospel and um, carrying on their worship service that day. The church was very much like Dave showed. It only had the sides on it and actually only had a roof, but there was no sides on it at this point that we saw. And this man said, no, I will talk to you at the end of the service. So this pastor, he said, you must wait. And at the end of the meeting, there was great bloodshed in the church. And his two little girls who are back with him now, but they had to leave the, the east of the country and go into Colombo where it was safer. They had to watch the father getting beaten up. That's what I mean. That's the warfare, isn't it? That's, the terrorist group didn't want the Christians having a, a place in that part of the country. They wanted complete control, the terrorist group. That's the sort of war we're in. That's the sort of war that Jesus Christ has come to defeat. So back to Gideon. God said he would give the Midianites into Gideon's hands. He says, if you want some more encouragement, Gideon, because Gideon says, well, I'm not too sure. You've told me, you showed me all these signs. You showed me I'm to go. You showed me I'm going to go with you. You've given me 300 men now. And God's so gracious, isn't he? Gave him another encouragement. He says, if you go down to the tent at night of the Midianites, you'll hear two men talking. And that will encourage you as to what's going to happen. So he takes his servant and he goes down to the tent at night. And he hears this man telling his friends, oh, I had a dream last night. Do you know what I heard? I saw in my dream and heard. He said it was like a, a, a thing of barley, a barley loaf was rolling down the hill into the Midianite camp and it all collapsed. And his friend said, really? That's amazing. He says, well... Really? This can be nothing else but the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. It must be Gideon who's going to be the barley loaf coming down the tent to destroy us. When he heard that Gideon, he was just full of faith. Isn't it great that sometimes we don't get all those reasons to do something, do we? We have to step out in faith because we are of the new covenant but we know that we have a vast army of God's army behind us. So he divided the 300 men into three groups. He gave them trumpets, trumpets or ram's horns, jars, and inside the jars were the torches. <laughs> Gideon said, follow my lead. He's all like full of faith now, isn't it? But he knew that God was the leader. But he says, you just watch what I do. When I blow the trumpet and sound, shout for the Lord and for Gideon, <coughs> you're to do the same. So off they go, they're in three groups all around the camp. And he blows the trumpet, the jars are broken, 
and the torches are exposed. And the noise, can you imagine the noise of them all blowing? They're blowing the trumpets with one hand, the, the jars are in the other hand being smashed and the torches are unveiled. They created such a noise, the commotion, all the Midianites ran crying as they fled. We're in a battle. But we're not ignorant of the enemy's strategy. You know, time and time again, he seems to attack us on the same front and we seem to fall for it. But church, we're not ignorant of his devices. He has no new strategy. He comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give life and life more abundantly. So we have to stand up and fight. I know it's hard sometimes. And like I said earlier, I felt I couldn't fight anymore. I've been fighting all my life. But, you know, we can't give up the fight. We were on our own in Sri Lanka. But as I said to you, we didn't have a team. The pastor, another pastor had driven us to the east side. We were in this sort of guest house on our own. And Phil, the next day, was about to preach. Um, he had about eight sessions. So we're in our, we're in our hotel room. And he's just like studying for the next day. I'm just like chilling out. And he comes in and he, said, he's, he has a towel round him. I mean, he had clothes on, but he had a wrapped in a towel. And he's going, <laughs> like this, you see. I said, you having a laugh? I thought he was joking, you know. I thought, I thought he was joking. He says, um, I've come over all cold. So I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, I feel terrible. So he kept putting more and more clothes on. And um, I thought, oh, no, this is all we need now. I'm in a, in a guest house where nobody can speak English because we're in the Tamil part of the country. It's, you know, they're not so afraid with the English language. I thought, what can I do? How could I get a doctor? How could I go to the hospital? I don't know anybody. I've got a phone, but I don't know hardly any numbers. The pastor's gone back home now to Colombo. Oh, my goodness. So he gets into bed with all this stuff around him. He well, we didn't have a blanket because I don't give you blankets, but he wrapped himself in everything he could to keep warm. I thought, I said, Phil, you've got to speak tomorrow. Don't think I'm going to do eight <laughs> sessions. <laughs> I, thought God, I thought God was setting me up. I thought, well, with that in mind, I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> so so um, I started warfaring. I sent a message to Joel and a message to Catherine and, they, and Joel sent it around for people to pray. And I just walked around the bedroom, rebuking the enemy, praying in tongues, praying healing over my husband, praying deliverance, rebuking all the, the enemy over the area, whatever it was. I thought we won't sleep tonight, but we slept like logs. And the next morning, Phil got up, he says, oh, I said, how are you? I said, we've actually slept. He says, I feel a lot, lot better. Well enough to speak. His stomach still felt a little bit like it had been punched. But I just saw it as a spiritual attack. And it's not like we're looking for stuff. We're not looking for the devil behind every bush. But I believe it was a spiritual attack. I believe that I had to fight on his behalf. And then he was able to speak for the next two days. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11 says, We are not ignorant of his devices. 
We are in a spiritual battle. There is another world out there that we're not meant to be ignorant of. God's not bothered about, uh, the enemy's not bothered about so much what's going on with people who don't know him. He wants to keep them in the dark. It's the people that have come into the light that he wants to attack, and that is us, church. He wants us to rob us of what God has for us. The enemy's number one ploy is to distract us. He'll distract us with anything that's unimportant. He'll distract us with entertainment, with materialism, with the love of riches. He wants to distract us. If he cannot distract you, he will dis- diminish you. He will remind you of past sins. He will keep telling you you're too bad to be a Christian. You've done this and you've done that. But really, he's not worried about our past. He's more worried about what God has got planned for us. He's more worried about our assignment on our life. And God's got a plan for everybody here. (coughs) You don't know what he has in store for you. But if you've given your life to him, he has a plan for your life. And that's what the devil's worried about. He's not worried about what you've done in the past. He keeps reminding you of that but he's more worried about what God's going to do with you in the future. So he distracts us, diminishes us, divides us. How he wants to divide us as brothers and sisters, how he wants to divide the Church of Jesus Christ, so many different denominations, all doing their own thing. But really, let's come to a unity of faith. We all believe in one Father. We might worship him differently. We all believe in his Son, Jesus Christ that he died on the cross and shed his blood and rose again, and that one day we will go and live with him forever. We'll never agree on doctrine, will we, with all the different things going on, but we can agree on this one thing, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Distract, he diminishes, he divides, and then he destroys. That's his last thing, isn't it? If he can destroy us, if he can get us out of the fight, if he can... Get us giving up on church or Christ or our faith. That's what he wants to do. Or giving up the fight. It's so easy to give up the fight. That's why we need to come here every week. That's why we need to read our Bibles when we don't feel like it. That's why we need to pray when we can't think of any more words because we know at the end of the day that's all part of what it is to fight the good fight of faith. Jesus told Simon Peter, Simon, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So he said to that church, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. But Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Don't you think it's encouraging to know that Jesus intercedes for us there in heaven? So when we're at our weakest, he's praying for us. Simon Peter did go on to deny Christ three times, but he also came back. He didn't fall away, did he? So Jesus is praying that our faith doesn't fail. He's praying that under severe trials and testing at times, we won't give up the fight of faith. He's praying that we will run and finish the race. 
He's praying that even if we fall on the course, we will get up and start running again. Don't you love that thing when you see these 10K runs or these marathon runs and you see people falling over and you know they're not going to perhaps be number one on the race, but they always get up, even if they're the last one. Often you see the last one running, don't you? But they run to touch the line because they want to finish the race. And even if we fall down, Jesus is praying for us that we would get up and start running again. He's praying that we keep our eyes on him, the author and finisher of our faith. It says in Exodus, I'm nearly done. Exodus 15:3, the Lord is a man of war, warrior, or a warrior. Yahweh is his name. He's many things, is God, he's got many names, but he is a man of war. And we are his children. We are in his army. We are engaged in a battle. We do have an enemy. What are we warfaring about? What is our warfare about? It's bringing people out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It's being lights in a dark place. The enemy hates the light. And that's what a warfare is. It's bringing people who are sick into freedom. People who are bound demonically and need deliverance emotionally, mentally. It's bringing them out of that into the light of God for their healing. That's what our warfare is about. We were praying for a lady um, at the end of the service last Sunday. They called people out for prayer. And this lady came out and she was in a bit of a state. And she said to us, she says, I'm possessed. So I looked at Phil and I thought, oh my goodness. She didn't look possessed. She didn't look like the gathering demoniac, like she was like, not, didn't have her senses, but she definitely had a demon. I wouldn't say she was possessed. And we prayed for her and she started to shake and shudder and she fell down and she started to scream and other people then went to pray for her and she got up and she had a different face, I tell you. From a face of looking dejected and dark and black, there was a light in her face that wasn't there before. That's what I mean. That's the battle we're in. Amen. Bringing people out of Satan's camp into the glorious light of the gospel. Exciting, eh? Amen. Right, and just to finish up, I just want to give a verse in um, Revelations. It's Revelation 5, 4 and 5. Revelations 5, 4 to 5. Hang on a minute, I'm just getting there. You're not going anywhere, are you? <laughs> um, oh, I love that picture. <laughs> um, you know, the lion of the tribe of Judah. I tell you, I love this bit. We're the army, right? So we're all marching, in, you're all getting one behind the other. It doesn't matter who's in front. It doesn't have to be Phil or me or Dave or Andrew or anybody. We're all in the army together. Well, who's leading us then? It must be our pastor. No, it's not. It's the Lion of Judah. Oh, 
If he came in now, if he came in now on his horse, his white horse, he would come in, sitting on their robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. All we have to do is fall in behind. Don't you think that's exciting? Doesn't that give you faith? Doesn't it want you to take your sword in your hand, the sword which is the word of God, and go against the enemy? Oh, I think that's exciting. (laughs) I don't often get excited. And that's the picture I saw. It wasn't any lion. It was the lion of the tribe of Judah. Revelations 5, 4 and 5. I wept and wept because there was no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. He's the only one who's worthy. He's the only one who's worthy to lead us into battle. He's the only one that we need to keep our eyes on. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the one we love. He is the one that gave his life for us. He is the one that can bring people out of darkness into the glorious light of the gospel. How can you not serve him? How can you not give your life to him? How can you not give him everything? Because we can fully trust him. So follow him home today. He's on his horse, his white pure white horse. And this week, go into battle with the powers of darkness. Your family who's wandered away. Sickness in your family, financial restraint, whatever it is, don't take it anymore. You stand up and fight. However old you are, even if you're 65, you get up with your sword and give the enemy a good going over. Bless you, in Jesus' name. Amen. like to sing a song that ties into the message so sorry Andrew you've not got this on your list break every chain there is power in the name of Jesus so let's just stand and declare